Welcome to You Can't Laugh at That. This is the podcast where we take topics that you can't laugh at and we prove that you can laugh at them. In our never-ending quest to prove that anything can be funny, my name is David Horning, I am your host, and you might be wondering why I don't have a comedian on this episode. Well, this is You Can't Laugh at Work. One of the things that pretty much every human being in existence has in common. We all have a job to do. We all have a role to play in society. And if we're not able to laugh the thing that we do day in, day out, moment in, moment out, well then what's the point of living? And what I'm doing is I am separating the idea that humor in the workplace is is frivolous, it's unnecessary, can lead to lawsuits. That's not true. I mean, it can, yeah. yeah, Okay, it's true in some cases. It's true in some cases. However, when done properly, humor in the workplace can lead to creative problem solving. It can lead to togetherness. It can lead to a culture that separates itself. And so in this podcast, we talk to leaders of workplaces who exhibit some of the same tendencies, the same skills, the same mindset that comedians do. Now there's a general draw that we have toward people who are funny. Why is that? And how can we replicate that allure to get people to want to come work for us? Well, if more leaders thought like comedians, you wouldn't have that problem. And that's why this podcast exists. So stick around, hang out, and enjoy this episode with the CEO of Springbuck, based out of Indianapolis, Rod Reason. Enjoy. And remember that you can laugh at work. Welcome to You Can't Laugh at Work, the podcast that takes that one thing, the the thing that we spend most of our waking hours doing, thinking about, stressing about, and says, no, you can laugh at that. And joining me today is the CEO and founder of Springbuck, a health intelligence software developer based out of Indianapolis, Indiana. It's Rod Reeson. Rod, what's going on? Hey, David. Good to, good to be on your podcast today. It's good to have you. Uh, so over this past year, we've, we've experienced a lot of things where most people with, uh, with a sane brain would say, this isn't funny. There's nothing, there's nothing to laugh about here. Uh, tell me, how has a sense of humor guided you through some of the challenges that, that you've experienced? Not necessarily just in the last couple of years, but you know, through, through kind of your origin story. Interesting. Um, well, my wife says uh, I'm never allowed to tell jokes, so um, I was hoping to learn from you today on how to actually make <laughs> this more fun, <laughs> but more funny. But uh, so I'm not allowed to tell jokes. But but I will say one of the the fun things that we do as a family is, um, and I've noticed uh, how laughter actually changes moods. Is we love watching uh, America's Funniest Home Videos or AFV on Sunday nights. Um, we get home after a long, long week, uh, go to church on Sunday night and then uh, come home and we watch AMV. And it's just amazing how no matter what your mood is, if you're sitting there watching people fall off their stairs or, you know, <laughs> doing stupid stuff on uh, AMV, how just the, the sheer laughter um, and being able to enjoy that together as a family changes your, your attitude. So, so I, I love what you do. 
I remember doing that when I was a kid. I remember, uh, I, I think it was Sunday night. It was uh, Bob Saget was hosting at the time as a kid. And that was like a family tradition for us as well. So I love that. And, and Good. I'm glad I could bring the memory back. Oh man, it was, it was that. And then I think Dave Coulier hosted a show too. And it's so important, like laughing as a family, laughing together. There's nothing more powerful than being able to laugh together with people. And when I say sense of humor, you know, and, and uh, you can tell this to your wife, but a sense of humor doesn't necessarily mean you're funny. It does mean that you appreciate the funny things that happen uh, day in or day out. And the absurd things that might not be funny, you can find a little nugget of humor within that. Uh, and, and that's so important, especially from a leadership standpoint, you know, being able to take a situation and say, oh, the, this, this stress or this challenge or this obstacle isn't just that, there's more to it. And that's, um, that, that's kind of what we do as comics, because I mean, we would be so boring if, if there were, you know, if there were no obstacles. So do you have an example of something you can look back on now in hindsight and kind of laugh at, at, at the time it might not have been funny, but now you can look back at it and say, okay, there's, there's something there. You know, we, I talked to a lot of startups that are um, trying to bring a brand new software um, up off the ground and uh, uh, dream it, you know, it's coming out of their mind and they're out there trying to pitch it. And I had a call with a guy yesterday and I remember looking back when we did our very first, what I'd call pitch to a potential customer and we had not even put the money into an MVP. We just barely gotten through what we, what would basically be, have been a clickable PDF. And it was uh, seven clicks. Once you're clicking on that PDF, it looks like software, uh, but it's just a PDF. It's the clickable PDF. And you get seven clicks into it. And it's like, please don't ask another question because I don't have any more clicks to, to, to do. And I remember sitting in that meeting with, uh, uh, with this potential prospect who ultimately did end up saying yes, but uh, we were at that point and she's like, okay, well, what's next? And we had to confess like, well, actually that's it. <laughs> that's all we have um, at this point is that it's just, this is a demo and uh, you know, this is what we're going to build. And, and she chuckled and she goes, okay, well, if you, if you can dream this and you can actually build it, then we'll be your first customer. And we all got a good laugh of just being honest. Um, but uh um, realizing that sometimes you are, when you're starting a software company, you're you're selling vaporware early on, and then it changes. the The whole dynamic changes once you start to actually deliver real software, which is fun. Is that is that kind of like a, a jump and build your wings on the way down kind of that perspective? Yeah, yeah. You've heard that analogy, I'm sure that you know building a startup is like taking all the parts to an airplane and throwing you and them off a cliff and seeing how much of it you can build um, on your, on your way down. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yep. Oh yeah. I live by that. <laughs> Life's way more exciting that way. It definitely is exciting. <laughs> yeah. There, there's, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of cortisol pulsing through the veins, but you know, it's uh, well, once you get that finished product or once you figure it out, it, it makes it that much more worth it. Uh, so we haven't really talked about spring buck at all, uh, at all yet. I kind of just describe what, what you guys do as though uh, as though I'm a five year old. Okay, sure. Um, how I explain it, and we we actually have a meeting this Friday. And I'm uh, you know, coming back to the why mission matters uh, to our team. So, at the end of the day, our software helps people uh, by saving lives. Um, we're, uh, our mission is to prevent disease with data, uh, which sounds much more ethereal than you know all the the nuts and bolts and things that I'm going to get into, but. 
Um, at the end of the day, our, our mission is to prevent disease with data. And so we collect in, uh, data from employers, medical claims, pharmacy, eligibility, dental, other data sets that would be at the human level, uh, the individual employee level, and then we bring it into our storehouses, run massive amounts of algorithms, predictive models, and we suggest to an employer, here's where your biggest dollars were spent last year and where they're going to be spent next year. So as you think about the investment that you make in that human capital, that human, um, in regard to their healthcare, or digital health solutions, wellness, and so on, here's the areas that would be, be the most appropriate or poignant for you to invest in. Imagine, imagine it like this. If you, uh, we all buy stocks either from inside of our mutual funds um, or inside of our 401k or so on. And what if you could have a technology that would say, this is specifically what you should invest in, in the given year because this is the trend that you're facing. We don't get that as, you know, as uh, investors. Um, but on the healthcare side of it, we have that level of data. We can predict uh, what's going to happen in a human life based off of their existing conditions. And so we do that for employers. And we help them save money. And you, every year, you post a list of, of the world, uh, of the healthiest employers out there. So you can, there's kind of a recognition aspect to it, too, to kind of uh, inspire people to want to, to make sure that their workforce is healthy. What was the inspiration behind that? Well, so the Healthiest Employer Award was actually uh, born out of the idea that in the, in the late 90s, early 2000s, wellness was a big topic among employers, and they were spending billions of dollars investing in, in new things around this idea of population health or wellness. And there were a lot of untested ideas, um, and there were just a lot of things that were happening. And so we said, what if we could put on a pedestal the companies that are doing remarkable or extraordinary things inside their workforce, and they're seeing results. And so this idea came of launching an award. You know, how else do you get people together to share what they've done really well is you tell them, hey, we're going to give you a prize. <laughs> and, uh, and it worked, um, you know, somewhat unintentionally. We weren't really trying to gather this gigantic group of people. But, uh, but the award eventually grew to 42 cities. We've surveyed over 10,000 employers. 70% of the Fortune 100 have gone through the process. But that award was actually the impetus to actually start this company called Springbuck because we came to the realization through these applications and having many, many conversations that employers really do want to make better decisions about that big, big investment that they make in healthcare. And they love having the, the contest to be able to see people and how they're, uh, you know, what others are doing. So let, let's turn that inward a little bit. Uh, recognition on an internal, on an internal level, you know, a, a lot of, so over this past, especially this year, a lot of employees are starting to say, you know what, I don't feel like I'm recognized by, you know, the people that I'm spending all this time, all this hard work, all this energy, I could be with my family, but I'm doing this, I'm not feeling the recognition I deserve. How does, uh, how does Springbuck, how do you differentiate yourselves as far as recognition goes for your own employees? So I've, I have a very big philosophy on this. It's something that uh, the team knows. Um, culture is a big deal to us as a business. And uh, you know, I think it was, there's others that have talked about, you know, culture eats process every day of the week. And, you know, you still have to good, have good process. But in this day and age, um, in the age that we're in at the moment, uh, we're doing a Zoom podcast. We're both, you're probably work from that office that you're in. This is where I work from. It's my, above my garage. Uh, I've converted my attic um, into, a, into an office. 
Um, and I'm in a work from anywhere situation, so is our company. That's the age that we live in. We don't live in an industrial revolution age where we're going in and punching a clock, we're just a cog piece of the manufacturing product, you know, as a human being. And so what that has done is it's created this environment where employers have to understand the capacity of the human being and what their, um, what, what I say is what their curiosity or where they're intellectually bent. And when you find that area where you're stimulated intellectually, you'll find yourself naturally gravitating towards reading about it, learning about it, hanging out with people that are doing it, whatever it is for you. And then you naturally want to find a role that you can become compensated for called a job that then marries what you love to do naturally with the problem set. And so that's how we actually state it is that we find extraordinary people to build exceptional products. It's one of our mantras. And we find those that are passionate about a certain issue. And we have that problem in our business and we allow a ton of autonomy to allow that human being to explore new ways, innovation, and so on. And when you unite those two, you have this explosion of new thought and idea. So we're very hands-off. Um, I did laissez-faire, uh, autonomous, hire great people and let them go to work. Um, instead of the, the old school thumbs on you, watching you every, every second of the day, that doesn't mean that there doesn't need to be performance, absolutely has to be. But, uh, but allowing a culture where people can, can thrive because they already enjoy what they do is what we build here. Mm, you, you, it's almost like you, <laughs> I have a part of my presentation where I ask why, you know, one out of three people is engaged. And then I talk about the industrial revolution and people are like, what is this guy? Like, we're supposed to be learning about humor. And it's like, well, we should know where we came from. <laughs> They're like, I'm sorry if I'm giving you PTSD from your high school history class, but we got to talk about this. Uh, so it's funny that you brought that up and and how the shift, how there are so many companies that are still kind of stuck in that. And then there are companies like Springbook who are saying, no, you're a human first. How can we lean into that and get and uh, and help you, you know, thrive on a creative and, a, and 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 that's driven by curiosity. And that's the word that that really strikes me when it comes to work is how can we constantly have our people be perpetually curious? So, so that, that question uh, to you, how do you uh, continually get people uh, to lean into their curiosity? I mean, you, you, you talked a little bit about giving them autonomy and, and not having your thumb on them, and that's a big part of it, but, but what other ways uh, can you get people to be curious and creative? You can't laugh at that. Curiosity and creativity, that's what drives innovation. Creativity put into action is innovation. So many companies have the word innovation in their description, on their website, on a mural, painted in their office. But what does it mean? In today's economy, we have to constantly be innovating. Innovating how we recruit, innovating how we engage, innovating how we discipline, innovating how we grow on a daily, moment-to-moment -moment basis. That's what culture is. And that's why water cooler comedy exists. Because we want to help you make work fun. Human beings are at our best when we're having fun at work. And when we're having fun at work, it doesn't mean we're playing or we're, or we're joking or goofing around. It means we are driven towards something that makes us curious. It makes us dig deeper and ask more questions. And what I've been describing this entire time is humor. 
in the workplace. Humor is curiosity driven by questions that leads to unexpected surprises that connects unlike thoughts or connects similar thoughts in new ways. These are skills that we are not taught in the formal education system. That if all of your employees had, you would set yourself apart from your competition. So if you want to set yourself apart from your competition, visit watercoolercomedy.org forward slash booking. Set up a call with me today. We'll figure out if there's a fit. There are many programs that your organization could dive into, whether it's a half-day workshop, a full-day workshop, a keynote, an eight-week program. There is something in there for you, whether it's just a comedy show or something deeper. Water Cooler Comedy can lean into your audience. Make your audience lean into you and make work the time and place to laugh and innovate. Now, back to this episode with Rod Reason of Springbuck. You can't laugh at that. What other ways can you get people to be curious and creative? Well, I, I bring it back to the hiring process. So when we first started a company, I used this analogy and I used my hands and I said, you know, at Springbuck, we want this to be like this gigantic iron gate that it is people see it from the outside, but they don't know what's going on on the inside, but they want in because there's something amazing happening on the inside. And so we have to be very, very protective of who we let inside the business because they will change the culture of the company if we're not very careful and create a good immune system. So the way I like to, to talk about it is, that you, I naturally, if you think about this, I don't even know you, um, except for listening to a couple of your podcasts, but if, you know, I could start to talk to you about whatever, and I can inspire you, even though we don't know each other that well, I can inspire you for a very short period of time. It may be through an incentivization, giving you a hundred bucks. It could be something else, but just calling on the good in you to go do something good. I can inspire you for a short period of time, but I can't um, do that over and over again. And that's, I think, one of the problems that managers or bosses often think about is I have to continue to inspire cast vision. Well, if you're always doing that and you don't have someone that's naturally aspirational on their own, it's going to be a very tough relationship. So we say, you know, we're an organization. Our responsibility is to help you grow. That's part of the inspiration. It's it's, uh, through proper um, planning for your um, growth. But if you have zero aspiration to grow on your own, it, it is uh, going to be frustrating for everyone. So we try to find people that are naturally aspiring to be better at their craft, whatever that it is, again, that you're naturally curious around. And then we inspire you, and this is where good managers and leaders find people that have this natural bent, and they come alongside them and say, hey, have you thought about and we, we allow them to express that curiosity in the form of trying new things, whether it be a project or new software, or um, we use the term polyglots an awful lot when we talk about our software engineers. So they may come in and not know Python, but at Springbuck they're gonna get to learn Python because it's one of the languages we use. So they, they come here because they wanna be able to, you know, express that curiosity in, the, in learning. So say you're sitting down in an interview, like what kind of questions do you ask to, to see if there's that synergy? Oh, you know, I, it's so funny. I just taught um, a uh, high school class, seniors in high school about interviewing 101. And so it was all these do's and don'ts and 
show up on time. It's, you know, for anybody that's listening, you know that interviewing is so much about the, the nonverbal. It's more, almost more about the nonverbals than it is the verbals. Mm-hmm. So showing up on time, dressing appropriately, uh, making eye contact, being human, um, not being a jerk. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many times I've sat down and done an interview and the person was just rude. It's like, you apparently don't want this job because being rude is not normally how you get very far in life. So, um, so there's some humor, but yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> it's like, I, I don't know if you remember those, uh, those like, those like pickup books, like how to pick up girls and you have to nag them and like, and, and tell them, you know, point out their flaws to them and then they'll be interested in you. That's what it sounds like. Like show up to an interview and point out their flaws. <laughs> doesn't work. Yeah, or show up an hour late or 20 minutes late or, you know, just doing silly things. But one of my favorite questions um, that we ask is, if you could have dinner with someone dead, alive, or fictional, who would it be and why? And you learn a lot about people's uh, heroes, who they, uh, you know, esteem as a hero, and then why they would want to have dinner with them at some point. And we've heard some really Awkward ones. I won't mention any here on the phone, but uh, you know, names that you would not think uh, that someone should idolize, and they mention those, and you're like, "Oh, interesting." On to the next candidate. <laughs> so, <laughs> how about you? Who would you have dinner with? Oh, if I could have dinner with anyone dead, alive, or fictional, it would be Jesus. That's a good. I mean, that's that's the ultimate one. That's <laughs> we had a guest on the podcast who. Uh, who kind of summed up Jesus in very a very modern way. And it was, uh, Jesus was the be cool guy in a time where a lot of people weren't cool. And, and it's like, you know, uh, if you want to sum it up that way, fine. But as a comic, our job, first and foremost, is to build trust with the audience. And if you don't build trust, it's hard to approach certain topics with them. And and, and, you know, get them to want to laugh. Like, why is this guy telling me about his problems? You know, if you're somebody on the street, you can't walk up to somebody and be like, ah, so I'm <laughs> single. Like, that's not, so you've got to build that trust. You've got to build that rapport first. And, you know, when it comes to being a leader too, that that's a big part of it. You know, if you have to deliver difficult news or if you have to ask them to do something they might not, that they might be a little bit resistant to. How do you build trust with your team? And I, I listened to an interview with you on another podcast, and, and you talked a lot about transparency. Is that is that your your uh, your go to when it comes to building trust, being open and honest? And if so, how do you do that? Uh, you know, I think th- this is actually something else that I talk to these uh, these high school kids about is um, is trust. Um, and you have most people naturally will grant trust, or at least some bit of trust to you, um, whether you're pitching in a sales presentation or an interview, they're going to grant you some trust because they've met with you. Um, and at that point, they are, you're either giving more trust um, or gaining more trust. And so it's everything you do from how you exaggerate, um, which is one of the things I said, don't do, don't exaggerate. If you weren't actually the, uh, the, the all-star on the team, don't say I was one of the all-stars. Um, just don't, don't say stuff that's not true. And, you know, and being consistent, um, I think that you'd find that the team would say that um, there are just certain things that, uh, you know, ethically, morally, um, consistency, the vision in our business has all been the same since we founded it. So having some consistency there is something that people can lean on and say, I may, even if they don't agree, I, I may not agree with the direction or the statement, 
but I can, I can trust that that is the, you know, it's not going to change. Mm. So you, uh, Springbuck is, is growing quickly and, you know, you, you can have, you know, all of these values in place, but, but when massive growth occurs, you know, those, those get tested a little bit. You mentioned in the past about the importance of pausing and taking time before taking action. So with you growing at this rate, how could you still do that? So my, my president and I have a 48 hour rule. Um, and, uh, we're both, there's a uh, personality test called Colby with a K K O L B E Colby. And uh, I'm a nine out of 10 on quick start. So I'm a get it done kind of guy. Um, I see something, I'm going to take action pretty quickly. So, uh, because of that, I'm, I'm more naturally inclined to see a problem find a solution and be already in process of solving the problem before I've even consulted with others. And so knowing that about myself, this is just the mature rod, um, is you say, okay, I see the problem. I think I know the opportunity to execute, but before I start to go solve, let me pause. So it's not that you don't take that natural bent energy of how you're, you're created, but you are, you're stopping to the point where you're into the execution mode and you're saying, okay, are there others talking about this? Are there others are already acting on this? Is this the direction that we should take? Who else should I involve? So that pause is about making sure that there's unity among the team and you don't continue to create chaos by doing things that other people are assigned to go do. Mm. It's it's really interesting that you say that because one of the most valuable skills that I've learned since doing stand-up is that usually the first punchline that comes to mind is not the best punchline. Even though it's natural, even though it makes you laugh, you take it on the stage and nobody laughs and you're like, what happened? You need to explore that a little bit more. Take the time to really ask yourself the question, what does this mean? What else could this mean? Who else could I like talk to about this? And, uh, and, and so I, that's, it's, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like there's a very similar, very similar mindset uh, in leadership in, in pausing to, to make decisions. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, I think it was Winston Churchill that once said that uh, he, he was being pushed on when they were going to enter World War, um, I think it was World War II. And he um, once said, why would I make a decision at this stage when I can wait another day and get more information um, and have more clarity? Um, so I'm paraphrasing, but, uh, but you know, the point was that sometimes it does make sense. There, there are times when an immediate action needs to take place and leaders need to be prepared that I have to make a decision right now with maybe 30, 40% of the information, but I know enough to be directionally correct and I can iterate as I go. Mm. There are other times when the decision is not that pressing and you just have to slow down. Um, so it's, it's learning uh, in the moment how, how fast you actually make, need to make that decision. But then also, I, mean, I think part of the trust is being able to, to make a decision, fail at that decision and say, we made the wrong decision and pick up and say, okay, now we need to go this, this way. We, we move too quickly um, or we made the wrong decision. It's going back to the plane analogy, building the plane on the way down. So the ultimate goal for, for Springbuck, let's, let's, let's take this, uh, let's bring this back to the runway. 
everything's firing on all cylinders. The world is a better place because of Springbuck on a massive scale. What does that look like? So I'll tell a quick story looking at the time here and, uh, and hopefully help land this. Uh, when my oldest daughter, who's now 20, I'll be 21 in March, um, she was in her teens. She started having some issues with her lymph nodes underneath her jawline, or this node right here. And it became swollen, painful. We went through multiple iterations with the physician, uh, air, nose, and throat doc. Um, ultimately to hear, we don't think it's cancer, but that's all you hear as a parent um, is you hear the big C word. Um, and ultimately, we, uh, the doc says, I can't figure out what's going on. Go to um, the drugstore next door and buy a bag of Sour Patch candies. And I've said this on other podcasts. So we did. Um, she started eating the Sour Patch candies and within days, the swelling began to go down and she was fine. So $2.50 or whatever it was, a couple bucks for a pack of Sour Patch candies, after 18 months worth of spending a ton of money on um, your deductibles and coinsurance and medicines and biopsies and other things, all to find out that it was a, a, an infected saliva gland. So I use that story because if, if you have anyone that's listening in your audience, you, all of us have heard horror stories about the wrong amputation or surgery on the wrong arm or leg or something other crazy that happens in the medical system. It shouldn't happen that way. We're in the 21st century. We can go online and push one click and have a package delivered to our house in hours. Why is our medical system so fraught with error? So what we see is a time when all of that data on you and I as human beings is married together in a much more uniform fashion. So that when you sit down with that physician and you say, this is what I'm dealing with, he or she can dip into this plethora of knowledge of organizations and people like you and find a much more appropriate procedure for you that is aligned to your best health. Our system today, our healthcare system is not established in a way that, that is either syncing the data or in a way that actually is the, the best outcome for the human being because we're perversely incentivizing those that are givers of care to give more care um, really not even necessarily at the benefit of the human being. And so we see a world where that is cleaned up and it's as simple as being able to know ahead of time where direction I'm taking as a human being, um, what can I do to avoid big disease, and then ultimately we're saving people's lives. So it is a big ethereal goal um, and we're accomplishing it. Mm. Or you just give everybody Sour Patch kits. That's so funny <laughs> i can't <laughs> yeah. believe that that was it like that was the answer the whole time oh that's 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 funny in itself there it is uh rod uh, is there any uh any you, where can we find you uh, where can people learn more about springbuck find me on linkedin um but uh find the, the business at springbuck.com springbuk.com named after a small african gazelle all right and uh the the final question that i leave everyone with is What's the last time that you laughed together as a team? You know, we were just on the phone with our executive team yesterday, and it was a rough day. Just there, there's a lot going on into the year, but we finally just got to the point where we were chuckling because so much was going on. So um, it was yesterday. So I'm glad to say that it was yesterday that, that we were laughing together. All right. Make that a daily goal. Rod, thank you so much for joining this podcast and helping us prove that no matter how fast you're growing, no matter what challenges you're facing, that it is always okay 
to laugh at work. Thank you for listening to this episode of You Can't Laugh at Work with Rob Reason from Springbuck. Make sure you follow You Can't Laugh at That on Facebook at well, You Can't Laugh at That. And then follow us on Twitter at You Can't Laugh Pod. Check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash You Can't Laugh Pod. Tons of deleted scenes. Deleted scenes like we're a Marvel movie. <laughs> no, no, no. It's, uh, it's bonus content. That's what we have. So... Stay on board. We got new episodes coming up on the other side of the new year. Until then, happy holidays. Get tested. Wear a mask. Get vaccinated. And we'll see you on the other side.